On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the stories of parents learning how to raise a child with a rare disease. Our co-hosts, Sanath Kumar Ramesh and Brittany Ratke, parents of rare disease kiddos who have very different situations. Sanath's son Raghav has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagatian-type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Brittany's daughter Everly has been diagnosed with SET-D5, a mutation that carries with it the potential for a range of complications and even other diagnoses. My name is Kevin Fryert. After 30 years doing research and development at Pfizer, I started Salem Oaks to help patients and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D. Our goal on Raising Rare is to help and lift up our listeners by sharing the unfolding stories of these two families. We also feature the stories of other rare disease families, clinicians, researchers, and industry leaders in the rare disease community. If you'd like to follow these parent stories, please subscribe to Raising Rare on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the season finale of Raising Rare. Today we are going to reflect on season four and look ahead to season five. So, Brittany, Sana, this has been an up and down year. You guys have had challenges um, and, and successes. So, how how's Everly doing? How's Raghav doing? Well, first, I just want to say hello to everybody. I know I took some time off, so it's great to be back. Um, we, unfortunately, are just getting out of another hospitalization um, this past week. Um, we just kind of went down with the common cold, but thankfully it wasn't too long and we got through that battle. Um, and I think, Sanath, you guys unfortunately went through the same thing about a few days before we did. Yep. It's the season. We were also in the hospital last week. Um, but fortunately, knock on wood, it wasn't as bad as um, Raghav's May hospitalization, which was uh, much worse. Um, I think beyond the hospitalizations, this is uh, also the year where we finally got the antidepressant for Raghav. So he stopped crying. Um, he also started going to kindergarten um, at a new school. He's getting used to that. Uh, but I think he's he's gone past uh, the first few weeks of I don't want to go to school anymore face. Um, so, you know, all in all, mixed, <laughs> if I were to rate this year. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but with the, with everything that we do, we always uh, give it a positive spin. So, you know, I'll give, I'll give it an A, I'll give it an A, hmm. not an A plus. <laughs> You're a hard grader. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we were going to get like A, a B, or C, so A is fantastic. Well, you know, if I were to truly rate it, I would call it a D. <laughs> but, um, you know, that just that's too depressive for me, so I'll call well, it a, a. Yes. Grading on a curve, but it's the curve of, of your growth in all this. And you're saying, okay, this was a good year, you know. Um, and so I think that that's, that's good. I 
just recall every time I'd say, how's Raghav doing? You'd say, stable. And you'd say that with some pride, you know, but it was just seemed like, oh, that's the easy answer. But no, it's like, no, he's stable. Um, that's good. It takes a lot of hard work <laughs> to keep him stable. So, yeah, that answer, that answer reflects many, many, many days of hard work uh, every single day to, you know, keep him within the bounds. I can definitely relate to that. And I think as I was kind of thinking about, you know, what our episode would look like today, I think even though we had a lot of setbacks this year in terms of like hospitalizations and things like that, at the end of the day, they are actually turned into a lot of big advances for us in terms of her care. In, for example, things like the epilepsy and getting her on the correct medication. We also recently traveled to Cleveland Clinic for the glycogen storage disease program, which was a huge relief just being there and having a team that knew exactly what to do and kind of progressing with a treatment plan. So that was huge. And the other thing that I'm really holding on to is after five years, her medical insurance through the state was finally approved. So we're not sitting with kind of some looming you know how that goes, some looming debt to all these wonderful care providers that we have. It just takes off a huge weight off our shoulders. So lots and lots of big advances over the year. And I do agree. I think we better grade on a curve. Otherwise, I might be at like a D or F too. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I really am optimistic and looking forward to stability as well. Yeah, it's exciting to get into the glycogen storage disease program. So hopefully next year, her care and management would be a lot more appropriate for her for her condition and yes. keeping her stable. And even with the recent illness, they actually, so as you all probably remember, we're in Minnesota, they're in Cleveland. They actually ran her whole hospitalization from Cleveland um, while we were in Minnesota. And this is our first time kind of experiencing that. And they did a phenomenal job. So I feel very grateful that we have them in our back pocket and, and on our care team. That's amazing. So so were you, were you at Mayo? Was she admitted at Mayo? So we, <laughs> that was another thing. We decided not to drive two and a half hours and we actually went to the local children's hospital to try to have more help around her being in the hospital. And so that was also potentially another kind of stepping stone there because historically they are really, really good at the common stuff and not so good at the rare disease. But the best thing that they did for us, and this was like 11 p.m. at night, they called down to the ER and said exactly what they need to do. And we got there and there was a three-hour wait, I think the sign said, and they took us right back to a room, got her in, and it was phenomenal. It was, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Well, you think about going to the emergency room or the emergency department, those docs are, are as soon as they see something, they're, they're like looking for ref, uh, referrals. Who can I get to come in? Who can consult? When Cleveland Clinic calls them before she gets there, it's like, wow, that's a big relief to those people who really would have been flummoxed by what they saw with her. That's really cool though. 
that's a real success for the healthcare system. <laughs> I've seen that happen within like Stanford. That's exactly what what they would do with within Stanford when we go go into the ER. Um, but this is the first time I'm hearing an outside hospital having that that kind of influence uh, over a local hospital. I mean, I'm kudos to the local hospital for actually allowing that to happen because usually doctors can be snobby and they just don't want to don't want someone else to interfere with their care. Um, even within the hospital, this is what we saw: the the ICU and the floor did not want to talk to each other. Uh, and when it's that political, I'm really glad. The hospital was open to Cleveland Clinic's suggestions and Cleveland Clinic was open to, you know, collaborating with this other hospital. I think that's amazing. And I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to the care for her. And so that's why I think, like you said, kudos to them, because without that, minutes with her metabolic disorder can really be critical. And so with having them take action so quickly and, and even the ER doctor who ironically, if you ever watched ER looked exactly like one of the doctors on there. Um, and once we got her stable, I'm like, has anyone ever told you you look like one of the actors after ER? And he said, yes, monthly people tell me that. Hold it. You got to tell us which actor. Well, I should have come more prepared because um, now I don't know his name, but maybe you can edit this out and I'll look it up real Was quick. it Howie Mandel? Was it no, George Clooney? No, because I know who he An <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. <laughs> who plays Mark Green, it looks like. <laughs> so, it made for a good laugh in a, in a kind of tough moment anyway, so... <laughs> Um, if, if that's that's hilarious, I in this hospital visit, um, we had the same nurse that Raghav had in the May hospital visit for two days, um, the same doctors in the in the ICU that Raghav had during the May visit. Uh, we would walk in the corridor, and some random nurse would come and say hi, as if we were you know walking into United Airlines' lounge every other week um, uh, because they knew us. <laughs> Uh, it, it was it was very interesting. It was, it was just interesting to like, yeah, it's, it's a familiar environment. People know him. People actually know him and remember him. Uh, and they even remember how to position him. Like, okay. It's very comforting that you know my son so well. It's also kind of scary that we keep frequenting the hospital. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the very first conversation you and I had, Sanath, when you were asking, why would companies care about my kid? They remember your kid. It's personal. And that's the same thing you're seeing in the hospital. You you got to go beyond the hospital system and healthcare and all that. Nope. They want to say hi when they see you in the hallway. Um, it probably feels good for them to be familiar with how to move him in his chair and all that. That's just, you know, it's um, it feels like a family feel at a huge academic hospital. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> Wow, that's a good thing to remember. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. You could call them at one thirty in the morning, maybe next time. I should, and get, I should get their phone number. Like, I'll page you if I really need your help. Yeah. <laughs> Down the block step. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I do want to touch on that, actually, because since we don't typically go to children's, um, we started there, as you might remember, back in like 2018, shortly after she was born. 
And at that time, she had this little tuft of hair that looked like a little mohawk. And one of the nurses that came in in the ER was like, I remember her. I remember her mohawk. <laughs> wow. And that's five years wow. later, you know, and who knows if she looked at the chart. But to me, it was like, oh, I love those little little moments like that. It makes, makes the whole thing more personal and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Human. So let's look back at the season a little bit. What were the highs for you guys? Which were your favorite episodes? For me, I honestly, of course, I'm going to be biased and say I loved all of them. But a couple of them that I really loved was meeting with Susan, who now has become a dear friend of mine. That was a wonderful episode. And then Jameis, who also is a friend of mine and has really carried some of the care in terms of Evie's glycogen storage disease and being just a pillar of support and strength for me. And then finally, I'm sure you'll guess this, Kevin, but I said Sarah. I felt an instant connection with her, and she spoke about Empowered Together and there was just something about that connection that I, I will never forget that day. And I think that's really why we're here and why we're doing each of these episodes is, is making those personal connections. And it really changed kind of my perspective and, and remembering that we are empowered together. Hmm. Oh, that took my breath away. And if either of you follow her on social media, um, she has actually started and found a location to start doing retreats for the caregivers. And I'm on the list for November, um, assuming that no emergencies happen. So I'm very excited to, to get back to you guys after I get back from that. That's amazing. I have, I had a, had a retreat experience, not a retreat, but retreat-like experience. Um, right after the Global Genes Conference, um, there was a, a small conference organized by CZI for uh, all of the grantees. Um, and, you know, granted, it was not a retreat. It was like, it was like a serious set of like meetings all day long. Um, but it was all rare disease parents. Uh, and so I felt like, and they, they had actually booked a really nice um, resort for it. So the moment I stepped into the resort, I felt like it was a retreat. Well, A, I didn't have to worry about home. Um, B, there were a lot of parents who were saying the same thing. Like in the morning breakfast, they'd be like, this is the first time I've had a full night's sleep. And I have, I've had the whole bed to myself and I don't have to wake up or worry about anything. Um, and uh, people would be like uh, talking about how they never, never called home. Uh, or when they called home, uh, you, they could see their spouses being jealous <laughs> because <laughs> because we were at a retreat. Uh, and so it was kind of nice to actually have those moments where you feel like you're part of the group and others understand what it's what it means to be a part of the group. Um, because every time I, I um, me and my wife stay at a hotel, uh, take a day off or something, I always felt uh, alien uh, because you could see the other people in the hotel are here for a true vacation while we are escaping life. Um, uh, and I think having a retreat 
with other caregivers would make a uh, make a huge difference. Wow, my kind of highlight was I I started with actually those same people that you talked about and the caregivers, but also just the variety of people we had. So we also talked to Terry and Patrick and Julia who are who are pursuing treatments. And then we talked to patients and um, and and families like um, Jameis's, where they're just trying to manage life, you know. And the folks, um, Tim and Casey Wyman, you know, they're they're figuring out how do you manage, you know, this rare disease and and live with it um, and not be um, held back too much by it. So. Which of the episodes impacted you the most? I think you already sort of answered this. Um, let me start, though. My favorite episode of all time, um, maybe of all time, was the one of real cost of raising a rare child. I think that that you guys opened up and were vulnerable, and we talked about some fairly hefty topics. Um, every time I listened to it while I was editing, I was getting emotional. And that's not normal to listen to something dozens of times and keep getting emotional every time you hear it. Um, so that probably is the most impactful for me. It, it put my heart back into what we're doing here. I have the exact same answer as you. I think for me, I was felt good to be open and vulnerable. And, and oftentimes it doesn't, but it also feels good to just share what life is like. And in some ways it was really healing for me. And I've mentioned before, I often used to feel so alone at the beginning of this journey. And I think you hit it right on the, on the head that this is why we do this. We get to be together and share our experiences and hear other people's experiences and I hate to say it again, but be empowered together. And that includes being vulnerable. I'm going to keep my vote on Susan's episode. Um, just had the most profound impact on me at the time that the episode happened. Usually I, every year there's one or two episodes that catch me at the right time, talking about the right thing that I need. Um, two, or three years ago, I think it was Miguel's episode, and uh, we were talking about sleep, and Miguel was like, why don't you sleep? Um, <laughs> and that's all it was. It was not any profound realization, but, you know, it hit me. And since then, like since that episode, I've been tracking my sleep, and I've been very conscious of sleeping well, and I've not maybe... Uh, less than a handful of times, except for a handful of times, I've not worked late in the night or early in the morning, right? Um, and last year, I think it was um, the episode on Rare Anonymous. Um, it was not a Rare Anonymous, but it turned out to be one, turned out to be a therapy session. And I think that was just really, really impactful. The message that um, he talked about, uh, where you're actually building a home, a brand new home in a forest. Uh, I think that visual was just incredible. And this year, I think it was Susan's episode um, where we were going through a tough time and um, Susan talking about, you know, supporting caregivers uh, made me feel very comforted. I might have to go back and listen to that sleep episode because I, I am in that. <laughs> 
through that wave right now, so I might have to go back and listen to it. So maybe it was a God thing that you brought that up today. <laughs> and it's, it's always a connection. I think that's one of the wonderful things is that I can go back and look at these and, and remember a point from each one. And, you know, those things come up again. They come up again with other guests and, and other people that we meet. And it's great to be able to say, hey, go listen to the episode with Miguel. When someone says, oh, man, I haven't slept at all. And go listen to the episode with Miguel and, and just be shaken up by that. Um, or listen to the one with caregivers, caring for caregivers. Um, it's very important. And I think people, depending on how long they've been at this, how, how old their kids are, um, they don't realize those things until someone who's been there turns around and says, I think you should think about it differently. And it just opened. It's like a light bulb going on saying, oh, well, if I had thought of it that way, the perspective's really important. And I think it does get into the next question I was going to talk about is why do we do this? And I think that that's for the community. When we were at Global Genes, that oh, that was my other high. I actually met met Sonneth, um, saw him standing down the hall, and it's like, is he on stilts? Um, Sonneth is a lot taller than I had pictured in my head um, from these little squares we see when we're doing our podcast. Um, but we got to meet each other, and we connected right away. We had a good meeting, and you could just see Sonneth was in energy mode because he was speaking, and he also had... Uh, the CZI event to go to. So he was just... And also had two coffees. What was that? <laughs> and also had two coffees. And had two coffees. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, No, that was a huge high. I think it was, it was a moment where I just... There were so many people when I'd say, oh yeah, we do Raising Rare. And by the way, Heather was wearing a great big Raising Rare dress. She kept calling herself a billboard. Um, but... People go, oh, I love that. I love that podcast. So people are connecting to it. I um, At the CCI conference, I spoke with someone from the Broad Institute. I never mentioned Raising Rare to them. They later wrote, wrote back to me and said, I've already listened to several episodes of Raising Rare. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I think... Um, You know, it, I, I, I keep thinking, you know, that these these Joe Rogan podcasts, Tim Ferriss podcasts, like Friedman podcasts get like millions or billions of views, right? Yeah, they impact a lot of people, but we impact 50 people that really need to be impacted. And that makes mm -hmm. a huge difference in all of our lives. And, and more than anyone, I think Brittany and I get impacted every time we do an episode. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think I'm more than satisfied with that. Me too. <laughs> and oftentimes, uh, like, like today, for instance, right? Like we just went through a hospitalization and I already feel this energy shift, right? It's just being with people that where you get to be yourself, you get to talk about what life is really like, and there's no front put on. I just feel so comfortable. And I hope that other caregivers and patients and and wherever you fall in the rare community i hope that they leave feeling that same way you just get to be yourself that's that's amazing that's the best way to be 
I, I, I should mention Global Genes. Um, I think it was, I was there only for half a day, um, but I met so many people at Global Genes. It made me so happy. Um, after a long time, I met all of these folks. Maybe, maybe it was the first time I met all of these folks in person. Um, some, some, of them, some of whom live close by um, or used to live close by. And some, like Kevin, um, who, who we talk every week, um, but haven't met in four years. So it, it was just, it was an amazing feeling. Yeah. And it, I talked about like the energy you felt. It just was, there was such a buzz to it. And on the very first day of the, the actual advocacy summit, they asked how many people are new here? And about half the people in the audience raised their hands. And I don't know what the exact number was, but there were several hundred people there, and half of them, it was their first year. And the place was just buzzing. Um, and it was really hard to like, see everybody you wanted to see. It, it, it was hard to keep moving, and, and you wanted to have deeper conversations, longer conversations, and there was time. They actually built the agenda very well to have time. There just were too many people on the list. Um, it was, which is wonderful. Um, it just shows momentum. But next year we should meet Brittany. Yes. Yes. And it's a little closer uh, for me. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> is, it, is it really Kansas City? It's really Kansas City. And wow. what's really cool is the rare KC, kind of the regional nonprofit, um, similar to the rare New England I'm involved in, lobbied for it and said, we can do this. Kind of like they do for the Olympics, you know, everybody has to bid on it. And they said, here's what our city has to offer. This is where we can do this. Um, here's how people can fly in. They, they made a good case for it, so. I need to get Minnesota on the map for that in a few years. <laughs> well, you think about it, you know, something like the Mayo Clinic's right there, Cleveland Clinic, you know, I could see this going to, to Cleveland. Um, and uh, and Boston area, you know, why not hit these? And Philadelphia, I mean, Philadelphia has lots of conferences, but they haven't had a big Global Genes conference. Uh, they usually have the symposium there. I'm I'm gonna say I really like like the cozy San Diego conference center because because it's an <laughs> it's an hour flight from where I live, and uh, and I love San Diego. So two two reasons I do to have go to there. Say, I do sort of wish it was in San Diego uh, to get away from life a little bit when I am going to this and be at the, around the beach because um, Kansas City isn't as exciting, but it might be a, like an hour flight for me. So you've got to take the good <laughs> with the bad. <laughs> yeah, I think the flight makes a huge difference because I, I mean, there, was, there were like eight flights from San Diego back, back to San Jose every day on Southwest. So if I were to... Uh, if something was to happen at home, I'd be home in the next two hours. That's comforting, too. Oh, speaking of which, I didn't tell you guys this. So the, what happened during the hospitalization uh, was the first day um, when uh, Raghav got sick, Ramya and I were in Austin. Um, we decided to take a, take a little two-day trip and... Raghav just had some nose congestion, which he's been having for a long time, so it didn't really bother us. So we, we flew in on Saturday evening. Uh, we reached Austin at 2 a.m. We slept through the morning. Uh, 
We slept through the night and in the morning we get a call saying Raga was having difficulty breathing. We remotely kind of like work through all of that with, with video calls and, and we, have a, we have a baby monitor and stuff like that. Um, and through the day we kind of felt like he was getting stable. Um, and then at some point he started requiring oxygen uh, and it was only grandparents at home. And so we had to call our friends to, to help us help, help him out. Um, and I booked the flight um, to leave from Austin and Ramya would be staying back and remotely coordinating everything. Um, and uh, right when I landed, Ramya is texting me directly, go to the ER. Uh, we are taking him there. Mm. And they already got oh, 911 and, uh, and uh, his nanny was with him in the, in the ambulance um, going to the ER. And I, I reached the ER three minutes before the ambulance arrived there. Uh, it was a 12, 12 hour trip. Uh, to Austin and, oh. and everything spiraled out of control. So that was the very first time that has ever happened to us. Hmm. I don't know if it's a high or a low. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good point, right? We said it's mixed. There's all these ups and downs. I mean, so many things had to go right to get you back there so close to when the ambulance gets there. And so many things had oh, to yeah. go right for you to have friends to call and, and help, you know, pull into this um, and Ramya got her couple days to sleep in a bed all by herself no and, she didn't oh she didn't she didn't she oh. she took she took the morning flight back so oh. she was there she was there in Austin simply to to be on the phone with with grandparents while I'm on the flight uh, <laughs> it was a remote command center she couldn't she couldn't let the phone off the hook and once I got to the ER, she, she had a night's sleep and she took the morning flight back home. Mm. So, uh, got to find a way to. It was a story for, for another for time. Ramya to, to get that retreat. Um. I know. That, it, that was the plan. Like, the plan was she had some work stuff in Austin and she could get a couple of nights for herself. Well, life had a different plan. A different plan. Which also reminds me, um, I should have mentioned this in my high, that I, for the first time, went away for a week this year. And wow. um, when you talk about, earlier you mentioned, you know, that other people are there for vacation and we are kind of there to get away from life, to get a little break. Um, I was gone, I think, for five days, and on day four, I think it was, where I, I started to feel, quote-unquote, normal, or, like, possibly um, up-to-date on my sleep, and so I, I'm i very thankful that that happened this year, because I never thought I would have be getting away at any point, and I'm really, really grateful that happened for a little reset. That's amazing. That makes a huge difference. I'm ready for round two, though. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> I am always ready for round two. Well, it's a good place maybe to close this because we're going to take a little break, you know, from our our podcast here. Um, and we want to thank everyone for listening to Raising Rare. Um, Please like us, follow us, subscribe us, whatever your your app tells you to do uh, to to give us some some warm fuzzies and tell all your friends to listen. And we've l heard before when friends listen, they can understand what you guys are going through, and therefore you know they don't have to keep asking what's going on. And we're already lining up guests for season five. Uh, we'll be back in 
January, and we're really looking forward to it. Do you guys want to close the season with anything profound? Stay safe. I'm looking forward to stability in 2024. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4.org on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. The Set D5 community is currently getting organized. We will let you know where you can donate soon. You can continue to follow Raghav and Everly stories next time on Raising Rare.